0: 6. Rary portraits on the walls, gives us a good idea of the very best effect that was attainable with the material then available. Richardson's, studies, contains, amongst other examples of furniture, and carved oak decorations of English Renaissance, interiors of Little Charlton, East Sutton Place, Stockton House, Wilts, Audley and, Essex, and the Great Hall, Crew, with its beautiful hall screens and famous carved, parlour all notable mansions of the sixteenth century. To this period of English furniture belongs the celebrated Great Bed of Weir, of which there is an illustration. This was formerly at the Saracen's Head at Weir, but has been removed to Wright House, about two miles away. Shakespeare's allusion to it in The Twelfth Night has identified the approximate date and gives the bed a character. The following are the lines, Sir Toby Belch, and as many lies as shall lie in my sheet of paper. Although the sheet were big enough for the bed of wear in England, set em down, go about it. Another illustration shows the chair which is said to have belonged to William Shakespeare, it may or may not be the actual one used by the poet, but it is most probably a genuine specimen of about his time, though perhaps not made in England. There is a manuscript on its back which states that it was known in 1769 as the Shakespeare chair, when Garrick borrowed it from its owner, Mr. James Bacon, a barnet, and since that time its history is well known. The carved ornament is in low relief, and represents a rough idea of the Dome of S. Mark and the Campanile Tower. We have now briefly and roughly traced the advance of what may be termed the flood tide of art from its birthplace in Italy to France, the Netherlands, Spain, Germany, and England, and by explanation and description, assisted by illustrations. Have endeavored to show how the Gothic of the latter part of the Middle Ages gave way before the revival of classic forms and arabesque ornament, with the many details and peculiarities characteristic of each different nationality which had adopted the general change. During this period the Bahud or chest has become a cabinet with all its varieties, the simple predea chair, as a devotional piece of furniture, has been elaborated into almost an oratory, and, as a domestic seat, into a dignified throne, tables have Towards the end of the period, become more ornate, and made as solid pieces of furniture, instead of the planks and trestles which we found when the Renaissance commenced. Chimney pieces, which in the 14th century were merely stone smoke shafts supported by corbels, have been replaced by handsome carved oak erections, ornamenting the hall or room from floor to ceiling, and the English livery cupboard, with its foreign contemporary the buffet, is the forerunner of the sideboard of the future. Illustration. The Great Bed of Weir, formerly at the Saracen's Head, Weir, but now at Right House, Broxborn, Hearts, period, XVI, Century, carved oak paneling has replaced the old heiress and ruder wood lining of an earlier time, and with the departure of the old feudal customs and the indulgence in greater luxuries of the more wealthy nobles and merchants in Italy, Flanders, France, Germany, Spain, and England, we have the elegancies and grace with which art and increased means of gratifying taste, enabled the 16th century virtuoso to adorn his home. Illustration, the Queen's Room, Penshurst Place, reproduced from historic houses of the United Kingdom, by permission of Messrs. Castle and Company Limited. Chapter IV. Jacobean Furniture. English home life in the reign of James I. Sir Henry Wooden quoted in Idle Jones and his work Ford Castle chimney pieces in South Kensington Museum table in the Carpenters Hall Hall of the Barber's Company the Charter House time of Charles I. Furniture at Noley Eagle house. Wimbledon. Mr. Charles Eastlake monuments at Canterbury and Westminster settles. Couches. And chairs of the Stuart period, Sir Paul Pender's House, Cromwellian Furniture, The Restoration Indo-Portuguese Furniture, Hampton Court, Palace Evelyn's Description, The Great Fire of London Hall of the Brewers' Company, oak Panelling of the Time, Grinling Gibbons and his work, The Edict of Mant Silver Furniture at Noly, William I.I.I. and Dutch Influence Queen and Sideboards, Bureau's, and Grandfather's Clocks Furniture at Hampton Court. In the chapter on Renaissance, the great art revival in England has been noticed, in the Elizabethan oak work of chimney pieces, paneling, and furniture, are to be found varying forms of the free classic style which the Renaissance had brought about. These fluctuating changes in fashion continued in England from the time of Elizabeth until the middle of the 18th century, when, as will be shown presently, a distinct alteration in the design of furniture took place the domestic habits of Englishmen were getting more established. We have seen how religious persecution during preceding reigns, at the time of the Reformation, had encouraged private domestic life of families, in the smaller rooms and apart from the gossiping retainer, who might at any time bring destruction upon the household by giving information about items of conversation he had overheard. There is a passage in one of Sir Henry Wooden's lepers, written in 1600, which shows that this home life was now becoming a settled characteristic of his countrymen, every man's proper mansion house and home, being the theatre of his hospitality, the seat of his self-fruition, the comfortable part of his own life, the noblest of his son's inheritance, a kind of private prince nay the possession thereof an epitome of the whole world, may well deserve by these attributes, according to the degree of the master, to be delightfully adorned, Illustration, O chimney-piece in Sir Walter Raleigh's house. Yole, Ireland, said to be the work of a Flemish artist who was brought over for the purpose of executing this and other carved work at Yole. Sir Henry Rudin was ambassador in Venice in 1604, and is said to have been the author of the well-known definition of an ambassador's calling, namely, an honest man sent abroad to life for his country's good. This offended the piety of James I and caused him for some time to be in disgrace. He also published some twenty years later, Elements of Architecture, and being an antiquarian and man of taste, sent home many specimens of the famous Italian wood carving. It was during the reign of James I and that of his successor that Inigo Jones, our English Vitruvius, was making his great reputation, he had returned from Italy full of enthusiasm for the renaissance of Palladio and his school, and of knowledge and taste gained by a diligent study of the ancient classic buildings of Rome his influence would be speedily felt in the design of woodwork fittings, for the interiors of his edifices, there is a note in his own copy of Palladio, which is now in the library of Worcester College, Oxford, which is worth quoting, in the name of God, Amen. The 2 of January, 1614, I being in Rome compared these designs following, with the ruins themselves, I Jones, in the following year he returned from Italy on his appointment as king's surveyor of works, And until his death in 1652, was full of work. Though unfortunately for us, much that he designed was never carried out, and much that he carried out has been destroyed by fire. The banqueting hall of Whitehall, now Whitehall Chapel, Street Paul's, Covent Garden, the old Watergate, originally intended as the entrance to the first Duke of Buckingham's palace, close to Charing Cross, N.O.S. 55 and 56 on the south side of Great Queen Street, Lincoln's Inn and one or two monuments and porches, are amongst the examples that remain to us of this great master's work, and of interiors, that of Ashburnham House is left to remind us, with its quiet dignity of style, of this great master, it has been said in speaking of the staircase, plaster ornament, and woodwork of this interior, upon the whole is set the seal of the time of Charles I, as the work was probably finished during that king's reign, the impression intended to be conveyed was that after wood carving had rather run right towards the end of the 16th century, we had now in the interior designed by an Jones, or influenced by his school, a more quiet and sober style, the above wood could choose a portion of the king's room in Ford Castle, which still contains souvenirs of Field. according to an article in the magazine of art, the room is in the northernmost tower, which still preserves externally the stern. Grim character of the border fortress, and the room looks towards the famous battlefield, the chair shoes a date 1638, and there is another of Dutch design of about 50 or 60 years later, but the carved oak bedstead, with tapestry hangings, and the oak press, which the writer of the article mentions as forming part of the old furniture of the room, scarcely appear in the illustration. Mr. Hungerford Pollen tells us that the majority of so-called Tudor houses were actually built during the reign of James I and this may probably be accepted as an explanation of the otherwise curious fact of there being much in the architecture and woodwork of this time which would seem to have belonged to the earlier period. The illustrations of wooden chimney pieces will show this change. There are in the South Kensington Museum some three or four chimney pieces of stone, having the upper portions of carved oak the dates of which have been ascertained to be about 1620, these were removed from an old house in Lime Street, City, and give us an idea of the interior decoration of a residence of a London merchant, the one illustrated is somewhat richer than the others, the columns supporting the cornice of the others being almost plain pillars with ionic or doric capitals, and the carving of the panels of all of them is in less relief, and simpler in character, than those which occur in the latter part of Elizabeth's time. The earliest dated piece of Jacobean furniture which has come under the writer's observation is the octagonal table belonging to the Carpenter's Company. The illustration, taken from Mr. Jip's book referred to in the last chapter, hardly does the table justice, it is really a very handsome piece of furniture, and measures about 3 feet 3 inches in diameter. In the spandrels of the arches between the legs are the lepers R W G I J R and W being the initials of Richard Wyatt, George Isaac. John Reeve and William Wilson, who were master and wardens of the company in 1606, which Dave is carved in two of the spandrels, while the ornamental legs show some of the characteristics of Elizabethan work, the treatment is less bold, the large apron-shaped member has become more refined and attenuated, and the ornament is altogether more subdued, this is a remarkable specimen of early Jacobean furniture, and is the only one of the shape and kind known to the writer. It is in excellent preservation, save that the top is split, and it shows signs of having been made with considerable skill and care. Illustration, carved oak chair, from Abingdon Park, carved oak chair, in the Carpenter's Hall from photos in the S. Kensington Museum album, early XVI, Century, English, the Science and Art Department keep for reference an album containing photographs, not only of many of the specimens in the different museums under its control but also of some of those which have been lent for a temporary exhibition. The illustration of the above two chairs is taken from this source. The album having been placed at the writer's disposal by the courtesy of Mr. Jones, of the photograph department, the left-hand chair, from Abingdon Park, is said to have belonged to Lady Barnard, Shakespeare's granddaughter, and the other may still be seen in the hall of the Carpenters' Company. Illustration, Old Chimney Piece, removed from an old house in Lime Street, City, South Kensington Museum, period, James I. In the hall of the Barber's Company in Monkswell Street, the courtroom, which is lighted with an octagonal cupola, was designed by Inigo Jones as a theater of anatomy. When the Barber's and Surgeon's or One Corporation, there are some three or four tellies of this period in the hall, having four legs connected by stretchers. Quite plain, the molded edges of the table tops are also without enrichment. These plain oak slabs, and also the stretchers, have been renewed, but in exactly the same style as the original work, the legs, however, are the old ones, and are simple columns with plain term capitals and bases, other tables of this period are to be found in a few old country mansions, there is one in Longlate, which, the writer has been told, has a small drawer at the end, to hold the copper coins with which the retainers of the Marquess of Bath's ancestors used to play a game of shovel penny, In the Chapter House in Westminster Abbey, there is also one of these plain substantial James I Tables, which is singular in being nearly double the width of those which were made at this time, as the Chapter House was, until comparatively recent years, used as a room for the storage of records. This table was probably made, not as a dining table, but for some other purpose requiring greater width. In the Chapter on Renaissance there was an allusion to Charger House which was purchased for its present purpose by Thomas Sutton in 1611, and in the chapel may be seen today the original communion table placed there by the founder, it is of carved oak, with a row of legs running lengthways underneath the middle, and for others at the corners, these, while being cast in the simple lines noticed in the tables in the barber's hall, and the chapter house, Westminster Abbey, are enriched by carving from the base to the third of the height of the leg, and the frieze of the table is also carved in low relief. The rich carved wood screen which supports the organ loft is also of Jacobean work. There is in the South Kensington Museum a carved oak chest, with a center panel representing the iteration of the Magi. About this date, 1615-20, it is mounted on a stand which has three feet in front and two behind, much more primitive and quaint than the ornate supports of Elizabethan carving. While the only ornament on the drawer fronts which form the frieze of the stand are molded panels, in the center of each of which is a turn knob by which to open the drawer, this chest and the table which forms its stand were probably not intended for each other. The illustration on the previous page shows the stand, which is a good representation of the carving of this time, by early 17th century, the round-backed armchair which the museum purchased last year from the Hailstone collection, though dated 1614, is really more Elizabethan in design, there is no greater storehouse for specimens of furniture in use during the Jacobean period than only, that stately mansion of the Sackville family, than the property of the Earls of Dorset, in the king's bedroom, which is said to have been specially prepared and furnished for the visit of King James I the public, going to the courtesy and generous spirit of the present Lord Sackville, can still see the bed, originally of crimson silk, but now faded elaborately embroidered with gold, it is said to have cost L8.000, and the chairs and seats, which are believed to have formed part of the original equipment of the room, are in much the same position as they then occupied. In the carved work of this furniture we cannot help thinking the hand of the Venetian is to be traced, and it is probable they were either imported or copied from a pattern brought over for the purpose. A suite of furniture of that time appears to have consisted of six stools and two armchairs, almost entirely covered with velvet, having the X-form supports, which, so far as the writer's investigations have gone, appear to have come from Venice. In the luster Gallery at Noli there is a portrait of the King, painted by mittens, seated on such a chair, and just below the picture is placed the chair which is said to be identical with the one portrayed. It is similar to the one reproduced on page 100 from a drawing of Mr. Charles Eastlake's. In the same gallery also are three sofas or settees upholstered with crimson velvet, and one of these has an accommodating rack, by which either end can be lowered at will, to make a more convenient lounge, illustration, armchair, covered with velvet, ringed with fringe and studded with copper nails, early XVI, century, from a drawing of the original at Etnoli. By Mr. Charles Eastlake. This excellent example of Jacobean furniture has been described and sketched by Mr. Charles Eastlake in Hints on Household Taste. He says, the joints are properly tenoned and pinned together in such a manner as to ensure its constant stability. The back is formed like that of a chair, with a horizontal rail only at its upper edge, but it receives additional strength from the second rail, which is introduced at the back of the seat. In Marcus Stone's well-known picture of The Stolen Keys, this is the sofa portrayed. The armchair illustrated above is part of the same suite of furniture. The furniture of another room at Nolee is said to have been presented by King James to the first Earl of Middlesex, who had married into the Dorset family. The author has been furnished with a photograph of this room, and the illustration prepared from this will give the reader a better idea than a lengthy description. Illustration, the Spangle Bedroom at Noli. The furniture of this room was presented by James I to the Earl of Middlesex, front a photo by Mr. Cork, of Savinox, it seems from the Nolly furniture, and a comparison of the designs with those of some of the tables and other woodwork produced during the same reign, bearing the impress of the more severe style of the Nigel Jones, that there were then in England two styles of decorative furniture, one of these, simple and severe, showing a reaction from the grotesque freedom of Elizabethan carving and the other, copied from Venetian ornamental woodwork, with cupids on scrolls forming the supports of stools, having these ornamental legs connected by stretchers the design of which island in the case of those in the king's bedchamber at Noli, a couple of cupids in a flying attitude holding up a crown, this kind of furniture was generally gilt, and under the black paint of those at Noli are still to be seen traces of the gold, Mr. Eastlake visited Noli and made careful examination and sketches of the Jacobean furniture there, and has well described and illustrated it in his book just referred to, he mentions that he found a slip of paper tucked beneath the webbing of a settle there, with an inscription in Old English characters which fixed the date of some of the furniture at 1620. In a letter to the writer on this subject, Mr. Lionel Sackville West confirms this date by referring to the heirloom book which also bears out the writer's opinion that some of the more richly carved furniture of this time was imported from Italy. In the Lady Chapel of Canterbury Cathedral there is a monument of Dean Boyce, who died in 1625. This represents the Dean seated in his library, at a table with turned legs, over which there is a tapestry cover. Books line the walls of the section of the room shown in the stone carving, it differs little from the sanctum of the literary man of the present day. There are many other monuments which represent furniture of this period, and amongst the more curious is that of a child of King James I in Westminster Abbey, close to the monument of Mary Queen of Scots. The child is sculptured about life-size, in a carved cradle of the time, in Holland House, Kensington, which is a good example of a Jacobean mansion, there is some oak enrichment of the 17th century, and also a garden bench with its back formed of three shells and the legs shaped and ornamented with scroll work. Horace Walpole mentions this seat, and ascribes the design to Francesco Klein, who worked for Charles I and some of the court. There is another Jacobean house of considerable interest, the property of Mr. T.G. Jackson, A.R.A. A. An account of it has been written by him, and was read to some members of the Surrey Archaeological Society, who visited Eagle House, Wimbledon, in 1890. It appears to have been the country seat of a London merchant, who lived early in the 17th century. Mr. Jackson bears witness to the excellence of the workmanship, and expresses his opinion that the carved and decorated enrichments were executed by native and not foreign craftsmen. He gives an illustration in his pamphlet of the sunk, strap work, which, though Jacobean in its date, is also found in the carved ornament of Elizabeth's time. Another relic of this time is the panel of carved oak in the Lick Gate of St. Giles, Bloomsbury, dated 1638. This is a realistic representation of the resurrection, and when the writer examined it a few weeks ago, it seemed in danger of perishing for lack of a little care and attention. It is very probable that had the reign of Charles I been less troublous, this would have been a time of much progress in the domestic arts in England. The Queen was of the Medici family. Italian literature was in vogue and Italian artists therefore would probably have been encouraged to come over and instruct our workmen. The kin himself was an excellent mechanic, and boasted that he could earn his living at almost any trade save the making of hangings. His father had established the tapestry works at Moor Lake, he himself had bought the Raphaeli cartoons to encourage the work and much was to be hoped from a monarch who had the judgment to induce a Van Dyke to settle in England. The Civil War whatever it has achieved for our liberty as subjects, certainly hindered by many years our progress as an artistic people, but to consider some of the furniture of this period in detail, until the sixteenth century was well advanced, the word, table, in our language meant an index, or pocketbook tablets, or a list, not an article of furniture, it was, as we have noticed in the time of Elizabeth, composed of boards generally hinged in the middle for convenience of storage and supported on trestles which were sometimes ornamented by carved work. The word trestle, by the way, is derived from the threshold, i.e. three-footed supports, and these three-legged stools and benches formed in those days the seats for everyone except the master of the house. Chairs were, as we have seen, scarce articles, sometimes there was only one, a throne-like seat for an honored guest or for the master or mistress of the house. And doubtless our present phrase of taking the chair is a survival of the high place a chair then held amongst the household gods of the gentleman's mansion. Shakespeare possibly had the boards and trestles in his mind when, about 1596, he wrote in, Romeo and Juliet, come, musicians, play, a hall, a hall, give room and foot it, girls, more light, ye knaves, and turn the tables up and as the scene in, King Henry IV, is placed some years earlier than that of, Romeo and Juliet, it is probable that, table, had then its earlier meaning, for the Archbishop of York says, the king is weary of deity and such picking grievances, and, therefore, will he wipe his tables clean and keep no tell-tale to his memory, Mr. Maskell, in his handbook on, ivories tells us that the word, table, was also used in the 14th and 15th centuries to denote the religious carvings and paintings in churches, and he quotes Chaucer to show that the word was used to describe the game of, drafts, they dance and they play at chess and tables, now, however, at the time of which we are writing, chairs were becoming more plentiful and the table was a definite article of furniture, in inventories of the time and for some 20 years previous as has been already noticed in the preceding chapter, we find mention of, join table, frame table, standing, and, dormant, table, and the word, board, had gradually disappeared, although it remains to us as a souvenir of the past in the name we still give to any body of men meeting for the transaction of business, or in its more social meaning, expressing festivity, the width of these earlier tables had been about thirty inches, and guests sat on one side only, with their backs to the wall. In order, it may be supposed, to be the more ready to resist any sudden raid, which might be made on the house, during the relaxation of the supper hour, and this custom remained long after there was any necessity for its observance. In the time of Charles I the width was increased, and a contrivance was introduced for doubling the area of the top when required, by two flaps which threw out from either end, and, by means of a wedge-shaped arrangement, the center or main table top was lowered, and the whole table, thus increased, became level. Illustrations taken from Mr. G. T. Robinson's article on furniture in the Art Journal of 1881 represent a drawing table, which was the name by which these latest improvements were known. The black lines were of stained pear tree. Let into the oak, and the apron-shaped member of the leg is an imported Dutch design, which became very common about this time and was applied to the supports of cabinets. Sometimes as in the illustration, plainly turned, but frequently carved, another table of this period was the folding table, which was made with twelve, sixteen, or with twenty legs, as shown in the illustration of this example, and which, as its name implies, would shut up into about one-third its extended size. There is one of these tables in the stationer's hall, illustration, couch, armchair and single chair, carved and gilt upholstered in rich silk velvet, part of suite at Penshurst place, also an Italian cabinet, period, Charles I. I. It was probably in the early part of the 17th century that the couch became known in England. It was not common, nor quite in the form in which we now recognize that luxurious article of furniture, but was probably a carved oak settle, with cushions so arranged as to form a resting lounge by day. Shakespeare speaks of the, branched velvet gown, of Malvolio having come from a, day bed. And there is also an allusion to one in Richard III. In a volume of, notes and queries, there is a note which would show that the lady's wardrobe of this time 1622 was a very primitive article of furniture. Mention is made there of a list of articles of wearing apparel belonging to a certain lady Elizabeth Morgan, sister to Sir Nathaniel Rich, which, according to the old document there quoted, dated the 13th day of November, 1622, are to be found in a great bar chest in my laddie's bedchamber. To judge from this list, Lady Morgan was a person of fashion in those days. We may also take it for granted that beyond the bedstead, a pre chair, a bench, some chests, and the indispensable mirror, there was not much else to furnish a lady's bedroom in the reign of James I or of his successor the long settle and scrowl chair were two other kinds of seats in use from the time of Charles I to that of James II the illustrations are taken from authenticated specimens in the collection of Mr Dalton of Scarborough they are most probably of yorkshire manufacture about the middle of the 17th century the ornament in the panel of the back of the chair is inlaid with box or ash stained to a greenish black to represent green ebony with a few small pieces of rich red wood then in great favour and says Mr. G.T. Robinson, to whose article mentioned above we are indebted for the description, probably brought by some buccaneer from the West. Mr. Robinson mentions another chair of the Stuart period, which formed a table, and subsequently became the property of Theodore Hook, who carefully preserved its pedigree. It was purchased by its late owner, Mr. Godwin, editor of The Builder. A woodcut of this chair is on page 106. Another chair which played an important part in history is the one in which Charles I sat during his trial, this was exhibited in the Stuart exhibition in London in 1889. The illustration is taken from a print in the illustrated London News of the time, in addition to the chairs of oak, carved, inlaid, and plain, which were in some cases rendered more comfortable by having cushions tied to the backs and seats. The upholstered chair, which we have seen had been brought from Venice in the early part of the reign of James I. Now came into general use. Few appear to have survived, but there are still to be seen in pictures of the period a chair represented as covered with crimson velvet, studded with brass nails. The seat trimmed with fringe, similar to that at Noli, illustrated on page 100. There is in the Historical Portrait Gallery in Defnall Green Museum a painting by an unknown artist, but dated 1642 of Sir William Lentil, who was Speaker of the House of Commons, on the memorable occasion when, on the 4th of January in that year, Charles I entered the House to demand the surrender of the five members. The chair on which Sir William is seated answers this description, and is very similar to the one used by Charles I illustrated on page 107. Illustration, Carved Oak Chair, said to have been used by Cromwell, the original in the possession of T. Nolis Park, Esquire in late work. Which had been crude and rough in the time of Elizabeth, became more in fashion as means increased of decorating both the furniture and the woodwork paneling of the rooms of the Stuart period. Mahogany had been discovered by Raleigh as early as 1595, but did not come into general use until the middle of the 18th century. The importation of scarce foreign woods in small quantities gave an impetus to this description of work, which in the marketry of Italy, France, Holland, Germany, and Spain, had already made great progress within the past year, owing to the extensions of the Great Eastern Railway premises at Bishopsgate Street. An old house of antiquarian interest was pulled down and generously presented by the company to the South Kensington Museum. It will shortly be arranged so as to enable the visitor to see a good example of the exterior as well as some of the interior woodwork of a quaint house of the middle of the 17th century. This was the residence of Sir Paul Pinderer, diplomatist. During the time of Charles I and it contained a carved oak chimney piece, with some other good ornamental woodwork of this period, the quaint and richly carved chimney piece, which was dated 1600, and other decorative work, was removed early in the present century, when the possessors of that tea.